And as our children go back, um, Paul will be back there leading you to the, uh, the children's area for your children's church this morning. Have you ever had an experience where you've missed something you didn't want to miss? Anybody had that uh, experience? Uh, sometimes it's for good reasons. Uh, sometimes it's for those reasons that you look back and say, I'm the reason I missed it and uh, have no excuse for it. Uh, one, just a sobering announcement, but kind of tied to the idea of missing. I, was, I got called um, on, on Thursday um, and then uh, actually it was on Friday that Dorothy Shelton had a massive heart attack and uh, went down and, and saw her. And it was interesting. I, it, they weren't sure she was going to open up and talk with me at all, but she did a little bit. And then as I was talking to Linda, uh, they were, uh, she had told um, her daughter that we, we can't miss the Thanksgiving banquet. That was one of her highlight things. She was looking forward to coming. And, and uh, so be praying for, uh, for uh, Dorothy's daughters and for Dorothy particularly. Um, they don't see a lot of natural hope for her to recover because of all the things that have shut down but uh, but god is still on the throne and and the good thing is uh, she has something to look forward to which is in the presence of the lord but sometimes you miss things because things are out of your control you can't uh, anticipate that all of a sudden your heart will stop beating or there'll some things destructively happen in your life but other things happen in your life where you just look back and say man if i just I just planned a little bit better. Remember, um, my oldest son, Timothy, was, um, we hadn't seen each other for a while, and so he called me up and said, hey, you want to come to an Angel baseball game? And so I go, sure. So uh, I was living in Inland Empire. He was living in the Orange County area, and so uh, I, I got down there, and I didn't anticipate the traffic just right, and so I picked him up uh, where he was staying, and then we went to the Angel Stadium, and um, for some, for whatever reason, uh, we decided to get, get kind of cheap parking spot as much as we could. It was a little bit farther away, and and so as we were coming in, all of a sudden we recognized that the game probably was about ready to start. In fact, it had already started. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where all of a sudden you hear these cheers going off. I mean, just going crazy in the stands. You're going, "What happened? What happened?" And we thought, "Well, we might have missed something." But then all of a sudden there was a little bit of space of time, and then there was this another tremendous cheer going on. And actually, we heard that five times before we actually got into the stadium. And and what we had missed, we had missed three home runs by the New York Yankees and two home runs by the uh, uh, at that time, the Anaheim Angels. So we missed five home runs because I had to get a cheaper parking spot, right? <laughs> you know, so, some things we miss, and all we can do is look back and say, you know, if I had just been willing to pay a few more shekels for a parking spot a little closer. But, you know, as you think about going through life, if you miss a few things that uh, might happen in a, in, a, in a stadium filled with fans and seeing a sporting event, or, or maybe you've been that kind of guy where, you know, you're... Um, you're a little bit tired, and you sit down, maybe the family's going to watch a movie, and you doze off, and you wake up, and you say, what happened, what happened? They say, well, if you'd, you'd stay awake, you wouldn't miss it. That there are other things that are much more important not to miss. And as we are looking at the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, if there's anything important to get right, is what's the beginning all about, and what's the end all about? And Genesis really unfolds that for us. And often it unfolds that to us in story form. And this morning, we're going to look at the things God doesn't want us or anyone to miss. But the reality is, most people do. And at varying levels and varying applications for each one of our lives, that God wants to impress in our minds and our lives and in our hearts that we better not miss it. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 20, and we're also going to be looking at chapters 21 this morning as well. And, and in the midst of the complexity of what I'll be sharing with you, or at least the detail I want to share, I, I want to make it extremely simple this morning. In Genesis chapter 20, the thing he doesn't want us to miss is that we are sinners. That we are far from God and it doesn't take much for us to go off the edge and again be disobedient to God and not follow after his plan. One of the things that uh, Tom Green shared in his, his testimony both on Friday night and, and Saturday night. In fact, he described this way. I just want you to know that my name is Tom Green and I'm an idiot. I think uh, Dan had that same message on Saturday morning to the men as well. And really what idiocy is, is, is knowing that God's plan can be known to you and you decide to disignore it. Uh, that's basically what the Bible calls sin. And really sin can be defined as simple as looking at that three-letter word and focusing on the middle word and that middle, middle letter. And that middle letter is what? It's I. It's getting so caught up in yourself that you, you just miss God. And the warning that's into our life that we are sinners and it's so easy to fall into our sin. Uh, but the good news is, is that we are sinners. But the second thing God doesn't want to miss is that, that we can have a savior. And, and, he, and we can know that he is the savior. His footprints are not only in the sand, they're in the cement. God has made it abundantly clear how God wants to rescue us. And so as we enter into the Thanksgiving season, we have so much to be thankful for because God wants us to know his plan. He doesn't want us to miss it. So I have a couple of things I want to share with you uh, to kind of build around that theme of we are sinners and we need a savior and what God wants us to know about that. You know, if, if you ever talk to a child and you want to explain the concept of sin or where sin lives itself out practically, all you have to do is talk about what I'm going to talk about as we begin this morning. And it's this. If you have your outlines this morning, you can look at it as we look at the text. Uh, basically, what we have here is that God wants us, he wants us to realize some things. First of all, next time you want to lie because you're fearful about what might happen if you don't, remember God. Next time you want to lie because you're fearful about what might happen if you don't, remember God. Now, Abraham was is called a friend of God. He had a close relationship with God. He's, a, he's the father of our faith. He, he's the one that started all, all off in terms of trusting God for God to impart righteousness into his life. But as much as he is a hero of faith, he's also an example to us that it's so easy to fall back and not only to sin in general, but sin in specific. In fact, repeat the same things we've done in the past. If you're familiar at all with the, the, the first few chapters, a number of chapters in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, we have Abraham kind of going down the path, going down toward Egypt. And he becomes filled with fear. As he enters into the land of Pharaoh, he's afraid that Pharaoh is going to take his life because, uh, because he has a wife that is overly attractive. And Pharaoh's like every attractive lady in their area. And so what he did is he convinced his wife to lie that, he, that she wasn't his wife, but that she was his, what? Sister. Now, God demonstrated that he was faithful and got him out of that. And you would have thought if there was anything he would not repeat doing, it was this, that he would lie about his wife in a situation where he was fearful that his life might be in, in danger, that he would trust God, that God would be able to come through for him. But what happens about 25 years later is that he is going down toward the Egypt area, a little south of him, and he encounters a, a kingdom with a 
a, a leader named Abimelech, and he falls into that same condition. Look at Genesis chapter 20, begin with verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. And now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my what? Sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, if you've seen those commercials, uh, she's 57 but looks 27. Have you seen those? I actually went on the, online to get some details about that. Um, there's, a, there's a, in fact, the, the line that was <laughs> in Yahoo News this past week is that um, trying to sell this product is that she is a, she is, her name is Mary, an ordinary mom of three from Laguna, Laguna Hills, so just around our area. And, and she had done much study in terms of looking at her uh, condition and had considered Botox and facial surgery and everything like that, but she was looking for a little less expensive way to do that. And she, she came out with uh, the, the product that was being advertised, the Polymoist PS, which allows to lift off layers of dead or dying skin. After removing the top layer of skin, the soft, young skin from underneath is brought to the surface, fully hydrated, and you are 30 years younger immediately. Now, I have a case of that in my office if he wants to buy this. It is, you know, we're always looking for that fountain of you somehow that we're going to look better on the outside. But, you know, the most beautiful people in this world are the beauty that comes from the inside and and, and comes out. And let me tell you, there is an extreme and and some of you would would qualify that as well. But in the second service, we have a lot of beautiful women and guys that are single. You might want to check that out. They're a little bit different ages, but, you know, they 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 have lived a life. Filled with knowing God. And the beauty just comes out of them. And I don't know how Sarah, now at the age of 90, could be attractive to a much younger man. And despite her inadequacies, and we know that she wasn't always trusting God as well, but the beauty had come out, and Abimelech wanted her. What had happened? It wasn't just sin in general, but Abraham, a friend of God, a hero of the faith was falling back into a familiar sin. Isn't that true about us? Isn't, isn't the things we know about ourselves that, that just, just anger ourselves about how far we are from God and yet so often we fall back into that same pattern? And, and really at the heart of so much of what we do is really not being able... <laughs> To handle the truth. And as we think about truth, truth is so important to God. Even as we think about truth, the Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus is truth personified. I am the way, the the truth. And what happened to Abraham? He was so afraid of what might happen to him. He was so filled with fear that he thought he had to take life into his own hands and go his own way. And at that moment, what he did was forget God. And God wants us to understand that as we think about life, what's so freeing is if we remember God, then we don't have to fear what may happen. I went on this week as well. I say, well, what's the 10 most... Uh, popular reasons that men decide to lie. Number 10, to save face. 
Number nine, to get out of doing something. Any, any husband here have to-do lists that maybe you'll kind of change the, the, the agenda up so you don't have to fall into that? Number eight, to avoid embarrassment. Seven, to prove a point. Six, because they feel small. Five, to avoid punishment. Four, to get something they want. Three, for pride. Number two, to make life seem better or to make others look at them in a better way. And then, interesting enough, the number one reason was to protect themselves. This is what happened to Abraham, at least recorded twice. In fact, some people speak about this chapter, that if, if there was a chapter that Abraham wished was not recorded in the text, it would be this chapter. Because he fell back into an old pattern of life. And if uh, you were here at the two banquets, that's part of the message that Tom was talking about. He said, you know, God done, had done so much for me. He had, he had brought me through all these conditions where life seemed hopeless. And one of 15 people that have ever had the disease he has had, only one who's lived this long. But it's so easy to forget God and not remember God. Well, what can God do for us that we don't have to lie? Uh, first of all, he can protect us and he does protect us. As you look at here, look at uh, verse 3. But God came to Ambivalent right after he took Sarah to be part of his harem. And in a dream by night, he said to him, indeed, you are a dead man. And anybody have, you know, there are dreams and there are nightmares. Anybody have nightmares out there? Okay. If there's anything you don't want to dream about is God giving you a message in the middle of the night that you're a dead man. All right. Uh, he goes, you are a dead man. And he said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. Uh, jumping down to verse 6. So this was kind of a shock to him because he thought it was Abraham's sister. And he said, and God said to him in a dream further, yes, I know that you do this in, in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. In other words, you did not take Sarah as your wife. She came into your home, but you did not go that next step. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife. This is Abraham's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, Know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. You know, who's the biggest bully on the street? (laughs) Abraham was afraid of what Abimelech could do. But Abimelech learned really soon there's a bigger bully on the block, and that's God. And that God can and does protect his people. And if he doesn't protect us in the way that we anticipate, he will give us the ability to endure it. We don't have to lie to protect ourselves. But there's some greater lessons if we think about being partial or, or, or being a little loose with the truth. Is that not only does God protect us, God is shamed when we lie. It reflects not only on our own character, but it reflects upon him if we are identified with him. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? Here here you have a pagan king. He might know something about God. Obviously, he was moral and ethical, at least at this point in his life, at least this area of his life. And he comes to Abraham and says, what in the world were you thinking? Why didn't you tell me the truth? You caused me almost to commit this great sin. And it would have been all your fault. When we break 
the commandments of God, it not only reflects upon our character, it reflects upon the one that we're now in his family. And it's a family sin. And it's related to him. You see, one of the, one of the, one of the descriptions of those who choose to follow God is that we come to the point that we not only want our sins forgiven, but we hate our sin because it reflects upon him. Are we getting it? Do we recognize that, that God is able to protect us, that God is shamed when we lie to others? And First Peter chapter 2 talks about in the, in the end, you know, people are going to look, even those who kind of mock our faith, at the end they'll say, they give glory to God because they observed our behavior and saw that God had changed us. And then finally, God is not impressed when we rationalize our sin. Look at, look at uh, verses 11 through 13 in chapter 20. And Abraham said, because I, I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father and not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house. And I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place where we go and, and say of me, he is my brother. Now, Abraham, in response to Abimelech, said, well, let me tell you, I, I, didn't, I didn't really lie. I mean, depending on how you look at it, you could say she is my sister. You think God was impressed with that? You think I was impressed when uh, he was in the garden with Adam and Eve and goes up to Adam and says, uh, and what happened? You know, why did you eat of the forbidden fruit? And what did Adam say? He said, it was the woman you gave me. It's not my fault. See, we come to a point where we've got to realize that, that God wants us to own up. He, he's not impressed. With half-truths. See, half-truths are a full lie. And what's significant about this is this is what we're going to see in a moment. If you remember, before chapter 20, there's chapter 19. Very good class. And before chapter 19, there's chapter 18. And God had promised that he was going to bring the promised seed who would lead to the, to the Savior that we need because of our sin. And he said it's going, to, it's going to come in a year. He got this message. He takes a little vacation down south, maybe to get a little bit more fertile ground for his crops. And, and this particular sin, and I'm sure Satan was involved in this whole activity, on a human level would have disrupted God's plan because he, Sarah would now have been the wife of another man. And the seed implanted in her womb would have not have been from Abraham. And the promised one to come would have not been coming from the birth of Abraham and Sarah who brought forth Isaac. But no one stops God's plan. And so God intervenes. And so I want us not only to think about that we are sinners and each one of us need to be humbled how easy it is to fall. And hopefully all of us at this time are just thinking through where have we recently kind of played with the truth? where we maybe wanted to save face. We wanted people to look at us a little bit differently than maybe we think they would if we actually were open and honest. 
Where is it that we've, we've tried to manipulate reality so that things might go well for us? Where is it that maybe not only are we, we telling a lie, but now we're beginning to believe the lie? Not only are we deceiving others, but we're deceiving ourselves. And we're falling back into old patterns of life. If it's not with a battle of that which is truth and that which is false. But maybe it's another area of life where you're you're beginning to slide back into old patterns. We're all sinners and when we fall back into whatever we're falling back to, the, the only solution is to remember God. But what I want to talk about in the time we have left is, is next time you wonder if there is more to life than what you see on the surface, remember God. There comes a reason why sometimes we fall back into old patterns because we're looking around us and, man, man I, I, don't, I just don't see it. I'm not experiencing it. Where is God showing up? And it, it seems like when you pray, uh, the prayers bounce off the walls or, or the timing doesn't seem to be right or, or the experiences that were the past don't seem to be now the experience of the present. You can't anticipate his, his coming in the future. Well, well, it's now arriving on the scene where, where God announces his bigger plan and he begins to fulfill it. And what I want to share with you this morning, we're going to kind of go through it in a rapid way, but... As you look at this big book, and it's true in the beginning and it's true in the end, it's really all about Jesus. And really, Jesus said this, too, to to some who were missing it. Can you imagine being there uh, right after Jesus was crucified? And then that third day showed up on Sunday, and you you faintly remember that he said somehow he was going to conquer the grave and and show up. But it just seems too good to be true, and and your faith has grown cold, and and you're just doubting. And then Jesus shows up, and, and you almost miss it because you're not looking. This is the experience of the two on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 27, it says this. Then he said to to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? Uh, Rhetorical question that um, he knew the answer but was trying to prop their mind. And then he said this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this is Jesus saying, as you look at the Old Testament, I am everywhere there. Just like we ought to be able to see Jesus everywhere in the life that we live. Not in physical form, but we see his hand moving in the lives of people. And we see him come alive in the pages of Scripture. And what he was doing here, and this is how God kind of set it up. He wanted wanted us to see Jesus as he worked in the life of Abraham and the seed of Abraham. And what I want to do is I want to give you a picture of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament by looking at the singular life of Isaac in the Old Testament. Remember how Jesus promised and pictured in the life of Isaac. Number one, both came from the, out of the covenant line of Abraham. Uh, remember that first uh, chapter in uh, the, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1? And it, it starts so beautifully because you hear it read a genealogy. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, we have a clear statement of uh, how this all is supposed to begin with, 
with uh, Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begot Isaac. And from there on, you see the line of Jesus beginning with Abraham. And, and as you look at that, in some of these passages that we won't look up because of time, in Genesis chapter 17, we again have the statement that, that God had promised that all the descendants of this world, I mean, the world will be blessed from the descendants of Abraham. And, and what made that so amazing is Abraham didn't have any descendants. There had, not, there had not been anything birthed from his loins. He had no ch- children. And yet then it began. It began as Abraham gave birth with Sarah to Isaac. And from the line of Isaac would come the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior for us. And, and what you see here in all of the genealogies, of all the populations of the world, all the nations and all the lines of, of families, you have a singular line that began with Abraham and then it got narrowed to the line of David down the point where it came to Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus was sharing all kinds of pictures uh, as he spoke to the two men at Emmaus. Secondly, not only did he come from a singular line, the line of Abraham, we also know that both were born at the exact time God the Father had ordained. Look at Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And then the next three words says, at the, actually four words, at the set time of which God has spoken. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, we have the same thing in reference to Jesus where it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, for those of you who have children or those of you who have grandchildren or those of you who have seen children born to those who have children, uh, usually what happens is uh, they determine that the person is pregnant and they set a what kind of a date? A due date. Now, we have four children, and all I can tell you is none of our children ever were born on the, the due date. We, uh, the first one was born four weeks before um, uh, he was scheduled to arrive on the scene. In fact, Alice was at work when she came up from work, came home, and uh, had a, one of those regular appointments. And they said, well, you're not going back to work because you're having the child tomorrow. Uh, no clue as when that child was to arrive. But I, I want you to know, when, when God had set aside Isaac to be born. She, he was born at the exact time that he put on the due date. And, and when Jesus arrived on the scene, it was at the fullness of time that Jesus came at the exact time where God wanted him to be here. So we have the line of Abraham. We have the exact time, the set time with, which God said they would be here. Thirdly, both were born after a long time between the promise and fulfillment. And I don't have time to go in a lot of detail on this, but let me just put it this way. In Genesis chapter 12, in fact, we could use many passages there where if you look at it chronologically, God gave Abraham the promise that a descendant would come from him, that, that he would have a child in which all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now, the problem is that once he gave him that promise, you know, he had, he had, he had seen people have children. He had uh, figured out the, the kind of the normal span of time between pregnancy and the, and the birth of a child. And, and usually it's around nine months. Well, nine months passed and still no child. Another nine months passed, still no child. In fact, it went on for 25 years before they had child. And, and so there was a gap of time for 25 years before the child came. Well, how about, how about the promised Messiah? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and we're not going to look at the passage, but there's a promise that there would be a seed come which would crush crush uh, Satan's head. 
And if you take the strictest, the, the narrowest of, of genealogies, that was a 4,000-year gap between the promise of the Messiah to come. Many writers look at, at, at all the descendants from Abraham thinking, is the Messiah going to come? Is the Messiah going to come? Is the Messiah going to come? It didn't come for 4,000 years. Uh, another way to look at it is when Abraham was given that promise that from his line, his descendants, that uh, the pro- all the nations will be blessed. That was a 2,000-year gap between Abraham got the promise and when Jesus arrived on the scene. If you, if you bump it up uh, to a Second Samuel when David got the promise, that was a 1,000-year gap. And all I'm trying to do here is, is, is God wanted us to, to catch it, that what, what God did in the Old Testament is, is to paint to us a picture so that we might see how his promised one would come. It would come from the line of Abraham. There would be an exact time in which he would arrive on, uh, on this planet. And for both Isaac and for Jesus, there was a significant period of time between the promise and the fulfillment. And isn't that what we're experiencing today as well? We're all looking not we're looking back at Jesus first coming, but hopefully you're all looking for his what his second coming. And you're thinking, all right, when is that going to happen? And they were looking for that in the first century and the second century and the third century and the fourth century. We're now in the 21st century. We're still looking for his return. But there's going to be a gap between the promise and the fulfillment. Fourthly, interesting enough, both husbands were given supernatural announcements about their birth. I don't know about you, but uh, we got the announcement when when uh, Alice took one of those tests, you know, at home and it showed up a certain color. And I guess the child's on the way. All right. Well, that's not how they found about it. In fact, supernaturally, we have uh, God speaking to both uh, Isaac, I mean, both uh, Abraham and Sarah and say, hey, it's going to happen. It's going to happen within this now year period of time. And then we have in Matthew chapter 120, we have that the angels appear unto both Joseph and Mary and, and announce that there's a birth that is to come. Fifthly, both, both mothers doubted the birth could happen. Now, before I became an old man, I, you, know, I was, uh, I, uh, you know, I did youth ministry and, and we worked with all kinds of uh, students and there sometimes would come up to me and working within our youth group or working with kids that were uh, friends of people in our youth group and all of a sudden I, I would be in a counseling situation and a, a young lady would come to me and said, uh, I, I'm pregnant. And I, and I, it, it, could, it couldn't happen. There's no way it could happen. I could not, there's, no, there's no way I could be pregnant. And I asked her, there's no way you could be pregnant? Well, I mean, I, I mean it's possible, but there's, there's absolutely no way I could be pregnant. Well, if, if you've done certain activity, there's, there's significant reason why you'd be, become pregnant. Uh, we have some good friends that they got married, and and <laughs> this is pretty amazing. But they uh, they have been told that uh, on your first night of your honeymoon, it's impossible to get pregnant. Guess what happened after the first night they're pregnant? <laughs> after the first night of the honeymoon, they were pregnant. A new child came nine months right after that particular date. You know, they doubted it could happen, and there's much reason for that. For Sarah, she said, I, I, I'm too old. I'm too, I'm too old to have a child. I'm, in, I'm, I'm 90 years of age. It doesn't happen that way. And, of course, for Mary, there was much reason why she could doubt. Because she had not been with a man. You, you see the picture here? 
as, as God wanted Abraham to wait for Isaac, he, he wanted him to see this is, this is how it's going to happen. It's going to be from your line. It's going to be at the set time, the exact time. There's going to be a gap between the promises. It's 25 years for you, but it's going to be a longer period of time between Jesus came. I want you to understand, I'm revealing this to you in a supernatural way. It's going to be, real, renewed that way. It's going to be announced that way to, for Jesus as well. And both mothers are going to doubt what's going to happen. Sixthly, both were named before their birth. Both were named before their birth. In Genesis chapter 17, 19, it says that, that they were going to name their child Isaac. And in Matthew chapter uh, 121, it says, you, you shall have a child and his name will be, are you still with me? Jesus, right? His name is Jesus because he's going to take away the uh, people's what? Sin. Now, I don't know about you, but, but nowadays people know a lot more about what's in the womb than us who are in their sixth decade, all right? So it, for, there was for a period of time where we didn't know whether it was going to be a male or a female. So if you're going to pick your name before they were born, uh, um, you had to have at least two names, right? Or unless you pick a name where both people could have that name, like Jesse or, you know, where you could, that could work, or Terry or Carol or, you know, ones that both male and female kind of names, right? Uh, we, we had a doctor that said he, without all those other tests uh, that we have now, he said, I can always pick the gender of the, of the, of the baby. He said, I, I have, I've got 100% accuracy on that. And we're thinking, no way. Well, so he, he, uh, he told us a particular prediction. He said, uh, your, your first child will be a male. But what he did to the nurses, he wrote on a piece of paper and said, female, all right? So if, if it came out of female, I didn't tell you male. I told you female. See, there's a note to the secretary, I mean, to the nurse right here. I wrote that on down. But, you know, they were, they were told what the names of the child was going to be. And, again, you see the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Seventhly, both births were miraculous. When Sarah said her womb was dead, there had been no one at that age at that particular time in, in world history that had a baby at that age. And so all they could say is this had to be the hand of God. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we know that the, the greatest miracle, the miracle of the virgin birth, came true in Jesus. Both were identified, number eight, as unique sons. Dan, in his message on, on, to the men on, on Saturday, said, you know, his favorite verse is John 3.16. I think most of us have heard that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Begotten son. But really that, that, that only begotten, it's a, it's a Greek word, monogenes. And, and it really has the idea, he's the, the only unique son of God. He is like no other son. And Isaac was like no other son. And in the story of Genesis chapter 21, you have Abraham frustrated with this because he had already had a son. His name was Ishmael. And he was his only son, so he was his favorite son up to that time. They had bonded. And he even goes to God and kind of pleads with God for Ishmael to be the promised one. And God said, no, I have another one planned. And there comes a time where Ishmael, who is now the older son, he's 14 years of age when Isaac is born and and the baby is weaned probably for three years, and now he's 17, and that baby is three years old, and it says that, that Ishmael is mocking the younger son. That doesn't go over too well with Sarah, so Sarah kicks out Hagar and Ishmael into the wilderness. And God, in his sovereignty and his grace, preserves a line that would be the enemy of God's people, 
but he's gracious in the midst of what had happened. But he was pointing out to Abraham and to Sarah and to us, there's a unique one. And see, the battle in the world today is, well, there are many roads to God. There are many ways you can get into a relationship with him. You just, you just call God by a different name. The Bible says that there is no name under heaven by which a man or a woman can be saved except the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the, the, the corresponding phrase right after it distinguishes what theologians say, the exclusivity of God. No one comes to the Father but through him. He is the unique one, just like Isaac was the unique one through the line by which Jesus would be here. Ninthly, both were obedient to their father even unto death. And, and next Lord's Day, we're going to see how, how Abraham was willing to offer up his one and only son that he loved, Isaac. And Isaac was willing to go to the altar in obedience to his father. And remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Tom last night was sharing about because of his condition, part of his condition that he would actually sweat blood because of the chemicals that were put in his body and I think the first night, I don't know if he repeated that same line the second night, but he said, he said, yeah, I became like Jesus, you know, sweating blood. I wasn't exactly looking forward to that experience. But, but Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and in agony asked that this cup would be taken from him. But he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And see, Jesus was willing to, to go to the cross for us. But more than anything else, I want to close with this. Both picture life coming out of death. Sarah's womb was dead, and yet God brought life out of it. Jesus became dead, and in the resurrection gives us life. In Romans chapter 4, which is kind of a commentary of this event in Genesis says this, and, and, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. He was 100 and Sarah was 90. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened to faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, it's not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Now, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, our sin, and was raised because of our justification. You see, the, the story of Jesus is the story that out of death comes life. And it says of Abraham that he had a choice there. He could either waver in unbelief because this, this, how, can you, how, how can this be true? But he f remembered God. He'd seen God's faithfulness in the past. And if God had been faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful here. And the greatest, the greatest promise God would ever keep would be the promise of bringing life out of death. Some of you have been following uh, Matt, who's going to be coming home, uh, Lord willing, on the day before Thanksgiving. And he wrote a couple of letters just recently that I wanted to, I wanted to close with. 
One, he was just thanking the church. He said, with just a few days left uh, in my mission to South Africa, I wanted to write you one last time. I, I'm very thankful for all of your support, both financially and through prayers. And he said, I, I hope that I can share personally with many of you about what God has been doing um, here in South Africa. I, I've been soaking up every last moment I have with these kids in the last days. It, it's going to be hard to say goodbye, but I trust that they will continue to be in good hands. I've learned a lot while I've been here and would be more than willing to talk with anything about my experience. God is incredibly big and is moving amongst his people each and every day. I pray that you don't miss out on the life he has planned for you. And then one last request. Will you keep praying for these kids who basically have so little and yet through Jesus they have so much. But then in, a, in a, another letter he sent, he, he said this. Anticipating his, his transition from an adventure, serving God in another land. With a new season of life constantly rising, the only sustaining anchor from my soul is Jesus Christ. I don't pretend to be wise, but but rather taking every opportunity to learn more. One thing I have learned is that everyone is searching for the one thing to fill the void in his or her life. To be on this search is something that has become the new cool or hipster thing to do, but I don't hesitate to say I have found it. See, it's one thing to be on the search, and then the other thing to be filled with conviction that you found what you're looking for. Then he, uh, quotes Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And in Ecclesiastes and in that passage and the experience he's had with the with the, uh, the street children and other people he's encountered there is the same that he's encountered here. In fact, he's, he's sure that he wants this journey to continue in terms of investing his life in the lives of others. But Ecclesiastes talked about that, that people can't fathom the beginning and the end. Or to put it in the message, they, they miss it. It's there, but they miss it. Because... The heart of the gospel is, is recognizing who we are and who he is. That we are far from him. And all we have to do is, is look at our own lives and how easy it is to play with the truth. To, to, to fall into half-truths that are full lies. To fall back into the, the activity that's destructive for our own experience, but those who get the ripple effect around us. See, Abraham's sin was not only against God, but it was against Abimelech and his whole nation and his whole family. And you read the details in Genesis chapter 20, you see that it affected, God closed the wombs of everyone in that kingdom. It was a sin against his wife, Sarah. It was Satan's opportunity to, to disrupt God's plan, and yet God was bigger. And, and then the announcement that, that God wanted 
Abraham to see this is just the beginning of the one who's promised to come. We are sinners and we need a savior. As we close in a word of prayer this morning, if you've never made that step, this is this is this is the time to make the step. And even if you've already made that step, it's it's that it's that new day to say, God, I want to more fully follow you. Let's pray. Well, you have set an eternity in our heart with a desire to know you. And yet, Father, sometimes we miss it because we're so preoccupied with life as it is. And we miss out what life can be. Father, is anyone here this morning that doesn't know you? We, we invite them to make that step, to admit their need and turn from their sin. To believe that Jesus is that promised one who came at the exact time, the fullness of time. To those who, who, who doubted and to those who didn't understand. And yet, the one who brought life out of death when he went to the cross and rose again. Admit your need. Believe that Jesus is the one who died for your sins. And then commit to follow Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior. And wherever you are in your spiritual journey, God invites you to, to just submit yourself to him, to remember that he and he alone is faithful. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.